and welcome to the Unfuck Your Biz podcast, a show for creatives to encourage and inspire through actionable legal, tax, money, and business topics. I'm Braden Drake, an author, lawyer, tax pro, and educator. If you are ready to get your legal and tax shit legit, you are in the right place. But before we fully dive in, here is a quick word from my sponsors. This episode is brought to you by my free training, The Three Legal and Tax Mistakes Made by New and Experienced Business Owners and How You Can Avoid Them. Here's the thing. There's a few key things we've all got to do to make sure we unfuck our biz. I've seen all the mistakes and I know how to help you get past them. So here's what I want you to do. Go to www.unfuckyourbiz.com, sign up for the free training, watch it, and do at least one of the homework assignments I share in the masterclass. Promise? Okay, now let's dive into the episode. Well, hello and welcome back to the podcast. Today, I am joined yet again by Meg Wheeler, who is a business money expert, coach, consultant, CPA, all of the things. That was a terrible intro, but really, (laughs) you're a CPA with some money expertise. I'll let you take it from there and tell us what it is that you actually do and who you help before we get into our topic for the day. Awesome. Thank you so much for having me. That intro was not that bad. Don't worry. Uh, So I am a CPA and a biz money coach, and I primarily work with online educators, uh, service professionals, and coaches to set up, manage, and master the money stuff in their businesses. Everything from accounting and taxes to cash flow to making more money. Uh, And I do that both through DIY options like my course and my membership and also done-for-you services like virtual CFO services and tax prep. Nice. Okay. I know a lot of people are going to need the tax prep stuff. I have this episode scheduled to release at like the very, very end of December. So people are starting. Well, I know the the eager beavers are starting to really think about taxes. The others probably not until February or March, but this is great timing. At the end of the podcast, don't let me leave without getting your contact information, Meg. Usually I'm pretty good about remembering, but meanwhile... We're here today to talk about equitable financial practices in business. Can you tell us what does that mean? Yeah, well, you know, look, I think a lot of us start our businesses and we look to other people in the space, whatever space we're in, to figure out how we should price our services, how we should market our offers, uh, how we should hire people. And in reality, a lot of those methods that we are that we observe and that we're taught are really not equitable. And so what do we mean by equitable? Well, and why does this matter? So society is at its core inequitable. And this is a hard concept for a lot of people to, um, to kind of wrap their heads around because it's, it's such a massive problem. But essentially what it means is that wealth is unequally distributed based on race, based on gender, based on sexual orientation, and perhaps other things. You know, we know that people of color, um, Uh, have a wealth gap. We know that, you know, women are paid less than men. Um, And all of these things really harms the economic mobility of these groups of people. So when we're talking about having equitable financial practices in our business, we're talking about designing our business in a way that is working to eradicate these wealth and uh, uh, economic opportunity gaps and make our business part of a shifting culture that really uh, is working to ensure that regardless of your race, regardless of your gender, uh, that you have equal access to economic opportunities and to build long-term wealth. 
Beautiful. Okay. I'm very excited to have you here to lead this discussion. I've been talking about these concepts a little bit on the podcast. Mm -hmm. Frankly, whenever I do it, I always feel like I get very uncomfortable and awkward, which is probably mm -hmm. natural, I would assume. I'm going yes. to for some other people. But yeah. if you're listening and you feel the same way, know that it's not just you. You can, go, you can go back and listen to the episode that I released on Christmas Eve. I talked about my top lessons learned in 2020. And I talked about really what I learned and took away from the Black Lives Matter movement. Yeah. It felt very awkward, very uncomfortable, but these are necessary conversations. So I'm happy to have you here. So what are some ways if we've, I, okay, so first of all, I think people have to make a conscious choice or a conscious decision that they want to have equitable financial practices in their yes. business. And if someone's listening and they're on the fence, I guess, do you feel like you need to pitch to them why this is important? Or do you feel like it's something that people are either just going to care about or they're not going to care about? Well, I, I do feel like I need to pitch, but it's, it's not because you know, it's not because people need to be convinced or because people are bad and we want to make them good or anything like that. I think it's because again, when we start our businesses, there's so much to focus on. And this is not something that's talked a lot about in the online business space or really in the business space in general. I think it's maybe more talked about in big corporate spaces that can afford to bring in, you know, DEI people and do this kind of work. But for a lot of us, this just isn't on the radar. And I also think, and this is the part, you know, where I know it gets uncomfortable, but we're all at a different place in our journey of doing this work, of, of being anti-racist, of fighting to eradicate gender inequality. And that's okay. I think what's important is that you're doing the work. I'm by no means done with the work. You're never done. Uh, and so... I think it is important for people to understand why this stuff matters. You know, I mentioned at the beginning uh, of our of our chat here that there is just massive inequity in our society. But I just want to point out really why this matters and why this wealth gap is important. Um, your wealth has a huge impact on the quality of your life. Everything from education to housing uh, to your ability to access quality healthcare to whether or not you can retire to like a year, like 2020 with a pandemic, how well you can respond to a crisis. Um, you know, we know coming into this pandemic that the average American only has about $400 in their savings account. Well, I'm sure by now they've blown through that uh, with the levels of unemployment and economic strife that we've seen. And we know that that's worse for women. We know it's worse for people of color. Uh, and so that's why this matters. But I also wanna add that, because uh, a lot of people will say to me, okay, I get it. I'll worry about this when I have more money. I'll worry about it when my business is bigger or I'm not hiring now, so I don't need to think about this. But what I believe is that if we build a business that is actually focused on doing this work and is uh, truly, equitable business, that's going to return to us so much benefit. Um, I am a firm believer that when we all rise, we individually will rise. I'm a firm believer that creating the type of society we want to be a part of is a, an important part of being a business owner, regardless of how big or small we are. And so that's really why I think this work matters. And so I would encourage everyone, no matter how small you are or big you are, uh, or new you are in business to think about this stuff. And the last thing I'll say, there's a lot of things you can do that aren't that hard and don't cost money or that much money that you can start implementing now. So there, there's no time like today, start doing the work, um, be a part of the culture that we wanna create. 
Okay, so I think that's I think that's the perfect segue, right? So you, you teed it up perfectly. You said there's some small things that we can yeah. do right now. It's not going to cost us a lot of money, yeah. uh, a ton of time. So let's dig into a few of these different areas that we can work on in order to build a more financially equitable business. So what's step number one? Where do we start? Whew. I think we start with what we're actually putting out into the world. So looking at our offers, and this could be a product, it could be a service, it could be a digital product, whatever you offer, looking at the pricing of it and looking at the offer itself. Um, one of the things that I uh, have done in my own business recently uh, is, a, is around payment plans. I actually think this is a really big uh, issue, especially in the online space. So uh, number one, if you're able to always offer a payment plan, uh, do keep in mind that does bring a little bit more risk to you as the business owner. So you need to plan for that. But this is important because punishing somebody for not being able to pay upfront is uh, ultimately harming the groups that are most harmed by this inequality. Uh, so I always offer a payment plan if I can. Um, I also make sure that if I do charge more for the payment plan, so you know, you'll see somebody will say, okay, you know, you can pay, uh, you know, $1,000 up front or $100 a month, which would be $1,200 for the year, right? Well, that's a $200 surcharge for that person who takes that payment plan then. So that's penalizing that person for not having the $1,000 in their bank account right now. So I think it's okay to have a surcharge because there are going to be extra fees every time you have to run their credit card. And there is a little bit more risk to you as a business owner if they don't pay. But especially in the online space, we've seen this surcharge be 20, 30, 40, 50%. And that is just not, uh, in my opinion, an Who has 50% surcharges? That's crazy. I'm not going to name names. <laughs> You get okay because I'm I'm now I'm trying to do the math on so I'm trying to do the math on my surcharge so my signature offer is two thousand dollars okay and then I think the payment plan comes out to either twenty two hundred or twenty three hundred so I guess that's what is that it's about a ten or fifteen percent surcharge yeah which like I mean I would say it's like maybe it's a little high but I w I'm not gonna lose <laughs> sleep over it you know like you're not going on my list of bad people so okay good I'm not I'm not I'm not on the list. And You're for, not on the for, list. Yeah, for those of you who are listening, a lot of my audience are not like in the course creator mm -hmm. space. They're yeah. service, they're service-based yeah. businesses. Yeah. So you all are gonna have larger contracts. And for most yeah. of you, like if you're doing wedding photography, it's yeah. four thousand dollars and yeah. your payments are the same for everyone. If you so if you're new to this world, the reason why we have these surcharges mm -hmm. is because the reality is is a lot of people don't finish their I shouldn't say a lot, a small Some. handful of people. <laughs> do not finish their payment plans. So the standard of the industry is to charge more money yeah. for a payment plan, knowing that some of those payments will drop off. And I don't just that you're right that that's the reason, but I honestly think that's been used as an excuse and that, that for people to make more money. Exactly. And that surcharge is going up and up and up and up. Cause I mean, I can tell you knock on wood between my course and my membership over, I don't even know how many in the hundreds of people, I've had one person ever completely ghost me, one out of hundreds. And I know that's actually, that is a really good rate, but I mean, it's not that crazy for most people. So I think that that's become an excuse. The other thing I'll say, even for service providers, even if you don't necessarily have, um, you know, an online product, like what we're talking about, you can still think about this too. Uh, you know, I thinking back to, well, I got married a long time ago, but thinking back to my wedding, 
you know, can you build in a process to make it more of a payment plan style? Can you make something more accessible to somebody? Again, not at your cost. I'm not asking you to discount your prices or anything like that. But can you think about how to make it more accessible to people who don't necessarily have all those funds up front? So maybe your deposit is lower, but you do more of them at the beginning, uh, you so, know, to. Okay. So I feel like there's, I feel like there's an interesting kind of thing to be discussed here because I can mm -hmm. tell you like a lot of the, the way a lot of people in this industry feel is they'll say like, well, I'm a luxury service provider. A, yeah. a lot of them actually yeah. hate the word luxury, but they, they recognize and realize that their yeah. service is not necessarily a needed service. Yeah. It's something for people to spend money on if they yeah. have the money. Yeah. So is this something that they still need to worry, yeah. like worry about, frankly, if they're not, if they're not serving the like, yeah. disenfranchised communities who might be financially struggling? Yeah, I think it is. So a couple of things you said I want to touch on. The first is, um, you know, who are they serving? So if you're not serving, if you're, and I get that this maybe depends a bit on what you do, right? Um, but if you, if you are not serving a diverse group of people, then maybe the first question I would ask is why? And maybe it's because the way you run your business doesn't welcome in um, a lot of different folks. But I also would say, yes, we're not, this isn't just something you do because people don't have money and can't pay. This is a recognition of the massive inequity in our society and the gap between what some people get and what other people get. And this is an effort on the part of business owners to be a part of the solution by making our services and the ability to work with us more accessible. And so it's, it's not about, you know, this isn't charity, it's not a handout, it's about recognizing that the way our society has been set up for so many people to be left behind means that more of us are less likely to have thousands of dollars in our bank account. Uh, you know, more of us are less likely, um, you know, to, uh, you know, not have to work for months and be perfectly fine. And so it's just creating opportunities for people to become a part of your world and work with you in a more accessible way. So I would say yes, even when you think of yourselves as a luxury, um, you know, I think the, the inequity exists. In fact, there was a, an uh, interesting graphic I saw the other day that the wealth gap between the top 10% of earners, so people who earn top 10% in the world, White people in that group, I think the average uh, net wealth was like 1.7 million. And the average net wealth for black people in that group was something like $400,000. So even at the highest earning level, people who presumably can buy wedding, you know, fancy wedding photographers and all of that, there's still an almost million dollar gap or more than million dollar gap uh, in their net, in their average net wealth. Yeah, that's really, it's kind of wild to think about. Another like... Another thing I was I was thinking about as you were talking about this topic was I remember so our like mutual mentor I would say Amy Porterfield mm -hmm. has talked about on her podcast how for the last round of her course they decided to do a certain number of scholarships available to yep. students I'm yep. assuming that you've heard about this mm -hmm. um, as a more concerted effort to yep. have more diversity in their student group. And yep. so it's something I've thought about in my business, yeah. but I'm not really sure. I'm not really sure how that works because it, you mm -hmm. know, does it, does that feel like a charitable handout? Like how right. do you structure it? How do you mark, like, how do you market yeah. it? It's, I don't know. I, I, I feel like 
on one hand, I, I feel like I'm going to hit like a minefield everywhere I go. But mm -hmm. then on the other hand, I feel like just by saying that I'm being even more self-sacrificial and like, that's not a, that's not a cute look either. So here's the thing, and I'm so glad you brought this up because everything that I share with you today and everything we talk about, crafting equitable financial pr practices, there's no one right answer or one wrong answer. This is evolving work. And I think what's most important to remember as a business owner is just thinking through all of the choices you make and who they might negatively impact um, you know, inadvertently and how you can craft policies that are more inclusive. Uh, so along the lines of the scholarship, it's funny you mentioned that because in the wake of everything that went on this year with Black Lives Matter, uh, I actually did open up my course and I initially said I will, you know, gift my course to Black business owners. And I think I said maybe five people and I set up a Google form and I said, you know, put your info here and then I'll just draw five names. And I, I got about 25 or 30 people signed up within the first 24 hours. So I actually decided, I said, you know what, I'm just going to leave it open. And I gave free access to every single person who signed up. And that 30, 30 people represents, you know, almost $20,000 of revenue had I sold them my course. And someone around that time brought up this idea or this concern about, well, you know, is that right? Is it charity? Is that doing the right thing? And, and the way I structured it is I made it very clear. I said, look, this is not charity. What I am doing is I don't have the cash in my bank account right now to invest in your business. So I'm giving you something of equal value. So the way I look at it is I invested $20,000 into black owned businesses because that was the best way for me to pay it forward and support other business owners uh, who were, you know, sort of um, disproportionately harmed by our society. Uh, and so I think if you think about it that way, then it's a perfectly good concept. The, you don't want to do it as charity. You don't want to do it as, let me just gift this so I can feel better as a white person and move on with my life. And so for me, it became part of my business structure. And I haven't completely decided how I'm going to do it moving forward. But for me, it's very much about that investment. Every single person who entered my program, I saw as a business I was investing in and supporting. And I continue to support them. And I'll tell you, I have lost zero sleep about giving away 25 or I think it was ended up being about 30 courses. Because again, it goes back to this idea of when we all rise, I will rise. That I know if I support 30 businesses that become incredible, awesome businesses, that just makes our entire world better. And that's going to help me too. Yeah, I think this, I think the follow-up question I had on this actually leads perfectly into the next topic. So okay. we're going to talk about marketing, right? Oh, yes. Okay. And what I've, the way I've kind of thought about this myself and trying to work on my own business mm -hmm. is I had to ask myself like back in June, this was the internal monologue I was having over and over again. Is it a monologue? If you're think, talking to yourself, <laughs> I'll call it an internal sure. dialogue. Um, but I was like, why is it that 80% of my students are like white women from Orange County? And if yeah. you're listening to this and you're a white woman from Orange County, I would love to keep you in all my programs. You don't need to go anywhere. But we are asking ourselves, we tend to, uh, we tend to attract like-minded like, like -minded people yeah. who come from similar backgrounds, similar, uh, you know, everything. Mm -hmm. And then uh, I made a concerted effort to meet Black-owned business owners, yeah. other entrepreneurs of like- yep. uh, 
entrepreneurs of color that color, were out yeah. there doing good work and then trying to establish JV relationships with those people, joint mm-hmm. mission relationships yeah. with these individuals so that I could start market to broader audiences in order to get a more diverse range of students and mm-hmm. my programs and members in my Facebook group. Mm-hmm. Um, and I thought that was an interesting way to approach it. And I try not to make everything super data-driven because that, you know, that feels very yeah. cool, right? But I've done a couple of joint venture webinars mm-hmm. to uh, black, uh, black business owners' audiences. Yep. And I had drastically, drastically lower conversion rates yes. than what I would normally expect. Yeah. And I, this really got me thinking. And it actually, it made me realize it's like there's something about the way I present myself um, that probably mm-hmm. just resonates less with certain groups of individuals. And that I thought was, was something interesting to think about as well. It just got a lot of wheels turning in my head. Yeah, it is interesting. And I want to I wanna point out something you said, and I promise I'm not picking on you because I've done this It's okay. You, you, can, you can better pick on me than, uh, than right. other people who aren't. All right. Which is you talked about, okay, I noticed my audience was really white. So I went out, I'm paraphrasing here. I went out and I found some black business owners and I decided to partner with them so that I could bring in more black people into my business and make more money from them. So basically what I heard was white guy wants more black dollars. Yes. And that does not that, sound like, that does not <laughs> sound good. Well, we've all, we've all done that, right? We all do that. That's because that's, we don't, we don't know any differently. And so the way I think about it is I flip it on its, on its head. And I say, how can I be a more supportive business owner to black businesses? And so instead of going in there with the intention of bringing their people to me, it's how can I bring what I offer, what I provide my value to them. And it's a, it's a minor mindset switch. It doesn't even necessarily mean doing anything differently per se, but I think the way you speak to somebody, the way you teach really changes depending on what that mindset is. And if you're going in there to serve, then I think that's a very different uh, presentation than if you're going in there to sell. Well, and- yeah. And I, I think that was a lot of the, like a lot of the nexus for mm-hmm. wanting to be more conscious in all of this as well, right. is that I think that I do provide a really good value. Yeah. Uh, I think that I'm providing a service that people need. And I'm thinking to myself, not just myself, but all of us, we have a tendency mm-hmm. to insulate ourselves with like-minded yes. people. So mm-hmm. I had my friend Crystal on the po- on my old podcast a long time ago, and she's now doing diversity, equi- equity, and mm-hmm. inclusion training nice. for other businesses. I'll put some of her contact information in our show notes. But I talked to Crystal about, this is kind of a weird story, but back in college, I remember it kind of dawned on me halfway through my freshman year that all of my closest friends that I made my first year mm-hmm. of college were all other people like myself who grew up in rural areas in the Midwest. And then I had another, I had a friend who was kind of an adjacent friend and he was from New York city and he hung out with all people from the East coast. And then there are, um, you just kind of see this. It's like people form their own cliques. And I think that we do the same thing in entrepreneurship. So my kind of thought process was, well, how do we start to bridge these gaps? Mm -hmm. And for me, like the easiest way to do that was to build connection with other people who have audiences like mine, but a more diverse makeup than my audience and vice versa. Yeah. And I think that's absolutely right. But I also think there's a sense of and I, and I, I, I never want to speak for, for, uh, you know, any, for black people in our community, but I, I can, 
share that I've seen in a lot of comments and a lot of conversations I've personally had where there's a sense of, oh, the white people are coming in now to, <laughs> to diversify their businesses. We've been here this whole time. You know, this is what, what black people are saying. We've been here this whole time. Where have they been? And so for me, the way I'm, and I've, I've had a fairly diverse uh, sphere of influence the last few years. I, I try to learn from people of all different um, backgrounds and, you know, my Instagram, you know, feed is, is pretty diverse, which is great. But the way I feel like we can show up is to like their stuff, to comment on their stuff, to engage, to support them in a way that isn't buy from me. And I think that's the difference. And that's not to say it can't lead to a JV relationship down the road. Of course it can. And, and that would, that's the goal. That would be ideal, right? I shouldn't say that's the goal, but that would be ideal. But I think right now it's really more about just expanding your circle and bringing yeah. in more voices that you're learning from and you're engaging with, not to sell, but to learn from and to provide value to, to serve. Yeah. I think that, that was the approach, like that was the approach I started. Like I, I, I tried to start with like back in June. Cause if you remember, everyone was kind of talking about like, do I post the black square, use the right. black hat? Like, you know, you had to be vocal and show your support. But on the mm -hmm. other hand, it's like, I don't want to take yes. up all right. of the time, like all of the airtime yeah. from other people who've already been doing this work for a while and frankly have a lot more insightful yeah. things than I have to right. say. And that also like on the same similar topic, like I wasn't going to bring this up, but I will because we're already here. Before we hit record on the podcast, mm -hmm. I was like, honestly, do people want to listen to two white people talk about right. diversity right. and inclusion? So that's a thought that crossed my mind. Yeah. But then I'm having my internal monologue again, right? Yeah. And I'm reflecting back to, I had a lot of um, black entrepreneurial friends who were saying at yeah. the time, you can't, you can't ask us to educate you every time you exactly. have a So I'm like, well, on one hand, this conversation feels awkward, but on the other hand, it feels necessary and needed as well. It is. And the other thing I want to say too, and, and one of the reasons why I'm willing to have this conversation is because the, talking about equitable financial, financial practices isn't just talking about race. Uh, you know, gender is a big aspect of this as well. I mean, we know that there's a, a massive gender wealth gap. So the, and I, and I by no means am trying to divert attention away from the race conversation because that's a really important conversation. And there are really great voices doing that work in that space right now that I highly recommend uh, ever, you know, Rachel Rogers comes to mind, Trudy LeBron comes to mind, that are, um, Erica uh, Corday comes to mind, that are doing that work, follow them, listen to them, pay them your money, uh, you know, for their, their resources and their services. Um, but this is, this is almost broader than that. And this is, you know, yes, I think the conversation is timely out of the Black Lives Matter stuff this year, but this is also a conversation that should exist in any year, in any space. Right. Um, and shouldn't just be limited to race because there are, I mean, again, we see this with gender. We see this with um, sexual orientation. We see this with uh, disability. Uh, it's, it's this idea that, um, you know, there, there are these massive inequities between kind of the, the top white male, white able-bodied <laughs> male and, um, you know, and, and these other groups. And so putting some of these practices into place is really doing the work to get there. So, you know, I, I, yeah. I think it's just important we have the conversation. The wealth gap always kind of blows my mind. It's something that like I know exists, but often forget about because A, I'm not a woman and B, like 
pretty much everyone I've ever bought from are women. Maybe it's because I'm a gay man, gay man and all of my friends have always been women. So I feel closely affiliated. Mm-hmm. But it is, I mean, it's like, I want to say that it's hard to believe that that's a thing. But like, also, I know the bullshit that like goes on out there. So then I guess it really shouldn't be hard to believe that that's still well, a thing. It is still a thing. But the other thing to think about too is, okay, so how do you generate wealth? Well, one of the biggest ways that white men have generated wealth is through generational wealth, right? So, you know, buying property, uh, having inheritances passed along. When you think about uh, Black people or you think about women, I mean, women couldn't have their own credit cards until the 70s, couldn't get mortgages in their own name. So, and certainly the same with Black people and, and even worse. I mean, think about redlining where they were denied mortgages if they were purchasing in a predominantly Black uh, neighborhood. Um, so, or even, I mean, the other thing, you know, I always think about is go back to the 30s with the war and the New Deal and they, you know, the government built all these housing developments, but they were only for white people. So, yeah, I guess like as you're, as you're mentioning these topics, I guess mm-hmm. now I'm kind of thinking about there's a difference between the wealth gap and their, mm-hmm. and pay gap. So I was initially thinking about yes. the pay gap. So that's, yeah. you know, women, they say women make on average 70 cents to the dollar yep. of a man. That's more of a yep. pay gap. Whereas the yep. wealth gap is yep. goes much farther Deeper. beyond that. Yes. It does. The pay gap's a, a piece of perpetuating the wealth gap, but right. it's 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 one piece of it. Um, there's so much more. And that's why when you really think about how long this has been going on and the fact that generation after generation after generation of women, of people of color, have been left behind. Well, they I'm, haven't so had I'm, that ability to generate that wealth that other people have. Yeah, I'm curious when it like when it comes to a pay like pay gap in particular, mm-hmm. very easy to see that in corporate because there's probably yes. data, right? Yeah. But do is there a pay gap in yes. entrepreneurship? <laughs> yes. There is. Okay, so talk to us a little bit about that because that I think there is. That I now, think is fascinating. If you own your yeah. own bit like if you own yes. your own business, are yes. women well, yes. I'm I would assume that women are on average undercharging in comparison to men, and it might come from that, but you tell me. Yeah, no, I think that's absolutely right. And look, I actually don't know of any massively comprehensive study that has done this, but I will bet you my life that if they do, it'll, it'll prove that the answer is yes. And there's a few reasons for it. So number one is uh, that women do, ch- do tend to charge less. There's a lot that plays into that. Um, you know, a lot of that is sort of uh, this kind of patriarchal society that has knocked into us that, um, you know, we're not as good this whole imposter syndrome piece of it. Uh, I think there's also a part of it, and this tends to come into play with fields that are more male dominated, where um, men may be willing to pay less for women doing the work. So there's some sense of that. Um, I also think there's a lot of fields that just tend to be um, uh, lower price that women tend to fall into. Virtual assistant work is the first one that comes to mind, tend to be more women than men. And so that plays into it as well. Um, But yeah, I think it absolutely is a piece of it. And I think another aspect of it is, um, and I I know we've got hiring on our list to talk about, but another aspect of it actually is hiring too. Uh, Because once this sort of snowball has started, then it becomes really hard. Like once a woman is underpaid once, it becomes really hard to catch up. Um, one of the things that I, I recommend to folks when they're hiring is to not ask about salary history, not ask about pay history. 
Because once you have that in your mind, if someone tells me, oh, I made $15 in my last job, well, then all of a sudden that's my benchmark for what I'm going to pay them. But maybe they were paid $5 less than a guy would have been paid. And so now that uh, pay gap is just perpetuated and perpetuated and perpetuated. So I think it's a lot of practices like that too in hiring that predominantly hurt women, predominantly hurt people of color. Yeah, I feel like there's so many other questions we could explore on that topic. I think I think this is my my reckoning that we're not going to obviously <laughs> no. cover every single issue on this topic in a half an hour podcast episode. But you know, we're getting to be like the yeah. I wouldn't say the basics, but we're introducing the topic to the audience here yes. on the show. So let's talk about let let's segue into hiring. So mm-hmm. what are some things that we can keep in mind? And I want to kind of bring some context to this as well, mm-hmm. knowing that. Most of the people out there that are probably listening are, are not, they don't have six-figure businesses yet, or they might have six-figure yeah. businesses, so they're probably not interviewing full-time employees. Right. Just yet. Yeah. No, absolutely. I just actually did a Facebook Live on this uh, a few weeks ago for my community, and literally, I basically said, this is not for people if you are hiring employees. This is if you have contractors, you got a VA, you got a social media person, whatever it may be. These are for those small businesses. This stuff still matters and there's still a lot you can do. I think one of the most, uh, I think there's two really critical things you can do. I think the first is thinking about the job description that you're writing. So again, whether it's a VA, whether it's someone doing your social media, whatever it is, um, a couple of things you can do. So probably most importantly, make the job description and the job itself uh, skill-based, not credential-based. So don't say something like, you know, uh, must have this certification and must have worked for this many years and this or this. Instead, say, I'm looking for someone who's detail-oriented, who is, you know, great at writing sales pages that convert, who, you know, um, you know, is an awesome wedding, I don't know, photographer, whatever (laughs) whatever the equivalent would be. Um, it's thinking about what those skills are instead of what the experiences are. Because if you get into the credentials piece of it, then you're talking about um, weeding people out who maybe couldn't afford college, couldn't afford a coaching course, couldn't afford the training, um, you know, or, or for whatever their circumstances are, weren't able to have the same credentials as a white person or as the male equivalent. And so focusing on the skills piece, I think is really helpful there. Um, the other thing too, and this, this may be something for you to think about when you're talking about, well, why am I not resonating with audiences that are not white women from California (laughs) is what, you know, what kind of language are we using? So, uh, and if you Google this, you'll find lots of articles with lots of great examples, but for women, for example, job descriptions that tend to talk more about competition and, um, you know, uh, kind of like scaling and things like that tend to uh, turn off women because they feel more aggressive. They feel like it's going to be a more, a more sort of male-dominated environment versus a job description that focuses on collaboration, on teamwork. That is going to attract more women um, because that is a, a, you know, environment that feels friendlier. Um, so things like that can be important too in how you write the job description. Yeah, I think that's I think that's super important. There's I know there's like so much we could look into for all of these topics. Mm-hmm. We have just a couple minutes left on the podcast. Mm-hmm. Any last minute tips that you want to share with the audience that we haven't uncovered just yet? Yeah, I mean, I would say 
number one, don't stress out about this stuff. Don't freak out and go, oh my goodness, this feels so heavy. I don't know where to start. I don't know what to do. Take this as the opening conversation and start to think about where in my business uh, can I make small changes and every decision I make in my business from how I price my products or services to who I hire and how I hire them. Is there a way that I can do this so that it's more accessible to a greater group of people uh, and that it's um, less focused on things that uh, are more likely to weed out people and just focus on a certain group of folks? And so I think it's just starting that conversation that's the important step. Beautiful. And do you have any other content, resources, anything like that we should send people to if they're curious on learning more about this topic? Ooh, that's a great question. You know, not off the top of my head. I mean, I talk about this a lot. So, so just follow, follow, me. follow Meg. Yes. <laughs> follow me. So everyone, Meg is an accountant now providing tax filing services. Mm -hmm. So I'm assuming you're not doing consulting on this topic. It's just something that you're interested in. That's why you talk about it, right? That's exactly right. Yeah. I mean, this is, it's something I'm interested in. This is not something I'm charging for because it's something that we all need to learn and do together. So I'm, I'm just here for the work. Perfect. And, but before we go, mm -hmm. if people are curious and learning more about your services, we didn't really get into your technical accounting okay. expertise <laughs> on this episode for you to flex all of that knowledge that you have, but tax filing is just around the corner. If yes. you need some tax prep help, Meg can help you with that. Where should people um, go find you, follow you, learn about your business and do all those things? Yeah, great question. So you can follow me on Instagram, Meg K. Wheeler, and my website is megkwheeler.com. Okay, beautiful. Well, thanks so much for joining me on today's podcast episode. Hey there, before you go, I wanted to give a quick thanks. Thanks so much for tuning into the show. If you loved it, I would love for you to take a screenshot of the episode or snap a quick selfie while you are listening. Share it on social and give me a tag. It'll help other kick-ass entrepreneurs like yourself find the show. That's it for today. I'll be back soon with a new episode. Meanwhile, let's roll up our sleeves and unfuck that biz.